welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their great hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 59. Hey guys and girls, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks for coming back for another episode, or if this is your very first one, hey, I'm grateful for you checking it out. Uh, A funny story for you, I went to Florida on a work trip uh, this past week and got back in yesterday, and uh, I'm starting to get excited about turkey hunting, um, but I haven't got out the calls or anything like that. Well, I'm in the bedroom, and I get a text message from uh, a guy that's been on the show before, Bobby, and Bobby Andrews is uh, looking to turkey hunt this year, and he was sending me a video of him just practicing his calling, wanted to see what I thought, not that I'm a turkey expert or anything, but he sent it to me, and I started to play it, and my wife was out in the living room, and so she starts to hear this turkey noise, you know, coming from the bedroom, and she lets out, like, this moany, like, yell, no, and then she goes, says, go back to Florida. <laughs> so, uh, apparently, my wife is, is not fond of turkey calling in the house, um, says it's, like, one of the worst sounds that she's ever heard, um, but then I went elk hunting last year. Apparently, she's not a fan of elk hunting and the bugle tube in the house either. So I don't. Anybody else have to do their calling like out in the garage or outside? Um, uh, am I the only one? I I don't know. But anyway, uh, that is what's going on. Not a lot happening in my world as far as hunting. But I am looking out. Hopefully this uh, week getting out for another coyote hunt, and I'll tell you about that. But uh, big thing is our guest today, uh, like I've said in the past, to try and have average Joes on the show. And uh, today's guest is a great guy that has created a great app uh, for the average Joe. Uh, and we talk about that app. We talk about podcasting. We talk about marathon running. And that guest is Brad Luttrell of the Go Wild app. And if you haven't checked that out yet, it is a very cool app for hunters. It's very unique. There's nothing else out there like it. Um, if you like hunting forums, if you like, um, first off, if you just, you know, don't like trolls, you know, on Facebook or those kind of things where people are constantly ripping on each other, uh, that's the beauty of the Go Wild app. It's a really positive community. I'm on there and um, just neat, good pictures, people sharing what they do. And, and so Brad and I, we talk a little bit about the Go uh, Wild app and uh, how he got that started, but then we dive into Brad's background as a hunter and uh, how he's gotten into whitetail hunting. We, we hear some great stories, and it's a lot of fun. And Brad makes he just does a great job making some great comparison between marathon running and hunting, and it's just a, a really cool uh, interview. So I think you guys are going to like this one. Pull up a chair, grab a coffee, and here we go with Brad Luttrell. Hey, Brad. How's it going? Doing well, man. How are you? Ah, uh, doing pretty good today. What's going on in your world? Oh, uh, man, I have, you know, everybody thinks that being a hunting entrepreneur, you just spend your time out in the woods. It's like they think all this field research is going on, but really my day mostly consists of investor meetings and partner meetings and client meetings and team meetings. And so uh, it's nice to be able to take a step back and chat with you about some actual hunting. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Are you involved with like, I know right now I see on, it's, it's the season for all of the outdoor expo events and, you know, hunting shows, trade shows. Are you involved in a lot of that as well? Oh, uh, yes, sir, man. I, I, uh, I did all the big ones this year. I did a couple new ones. We, we hit uh, shot show, ATA, NWTF. We did great American outdoor show. 
uh, our director of business development did a few extra ones. And, and on top of that, he's at a fishing event right now. He, he went to the fly fishing show. I mean, we, we did it all, dude. I, uh, I was gone for, I mean, honestly, this is March is going to be, um, largely my, my first time really getting to spend some time home consistently. So, yeah. Well, for any anybody that isn't aware of the Go Wild app and some of the other things that you do, could you give us just a little bit of background, you know, kind of update us on who you are, and, and um, then we'll jump in. I do want to jump into kind of how the app got started and that type of thing here in a second. Yeah. Well, in, in a nutshell, the, the Go Wild app is a social media app for outdoor enthusiasts built by outdoor enthusiasts. So whatever you're into, we have a place for that in the outdoors. It could be shooting. It could be fishing, hunting. Uh, we even have, you know, bushcraft. And it's broken up into forums, kind of like Reddit. Uh-huh. So you don't have to, you don't have to build a following in our platform, and we have a trophy system. It's got more than two hundred species in it. You can log your your whitetail or your elk or you know even your bluegill, and it saves all this stuff onto your profile, so you can quickly find those memories uh, to show your friends later. Um, we have a really cool e-commerce system that allows you to ask questions about gear, to find good gear, and it integrates across a multitude of retailers and manufacturers in this really robust way to get feedback on something before you buy it because this is a really gear heavy audience. So we kind of cater to helping you find the right gear for the job, you know, in in its totality for how most people think of the platform that that's it right there. It's using uh, a platform to connect with a community of people that are probably better at what you do than you do. Now, you know, you can get a lot of great feedback from crowdsourcing knowledge. So that's what we do really well. Yeah, what what prompted you to create this? Like, what what? How did this idea kind of originate? And I, I've heard you talk about this before, but anybody that hadn't heard this, you know, how did you get started with the Go Wild? Well, I was a creative director at an ad agency, and we built a lot of websites. So I had a good digital background, and I was a hunter. And you know, I was trying to get better at whitetail hunting. Um, I'd been whitetail hunting for a few years, but I realized that. I wasn't a good whitetail hunter. I was hunting with one. And there's a big difference, right? Somebody else was doing all the legwork for me. <laughs> so over a span of a couple of years of trying to get better, I just was fed up with how hard it was to connect with people near me. And I wanted to build a platform that would allow me to quickly find people that were into whitetail hunting or, or you know, obviously we built this to be wider than just whitetail, but that was the thought that kind of was the catalyst for all of this. And to be able to find people near me, because these forums what I was running into and what I imagine a lot of your audiences run into, you know, you Google how to whitetail hunt and the way keywords and everything work, you might be end up on a forum about mule deer hunting, or you might end up on a forum about Texas whitetail hunting, which is very different from how we hunt whitetail in, in Kentucky. So saw an opportunity to really cater a platform to the outdoors to get people uh, you know, into a frame of mind to pull experts together and to pull a place where beginners um, you know, my level or even earlier could, could come in and learn. That was really the goal of the platform at first was just to build something where people could learn. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you've definitely done that. I'm on there and I do like, it seems like, um, whenever you get on a forum, there's just only, they only cover certain topics. And I think what you guys have done is you've got like, I mean, there's reptiles on there. There's reptiles, giveaways, guides. I'm looking through everything, gear reviews, fitness, firearms, elk hunting, duck hunting, dog life. So you guys have kind of broken it down into just a lot. I mean, if, if you're in the outdoors at all in any form, there's a place where you can go on there and check things out and connect with people. Yeah, I mean, we've got we've probably got, um, I mean, I, I welcome anybody to tell me if there's a bigger one, but we've probably got the, the biggest trapping forum in the country. I mean, you can go on there and talk to other people about trapping, and it's not 
it's not a stigma attached to it. Like everybody there gets it out of the gate. Right. So the, that's the coolest thing about it. You know, I, the, the other part of why we started this, it was 2016. I don't know that we've ever treated each other worse on social media than we did that year. You go back to that's the, the Trump and Hillary standoff and I don't care which <laughs> side of the line you're on. Like people were just nasty. Online was a nasty place to be. And I had this thought of, you know, if I get a deer this year, am I even going to post it on Facebook? And the mm -hmm. answer was no, uh, because I've been, uh, you know, essentially what they call cyberbullying now. But uh, the uh, someone from the company I was working for had, you know, trash talked me for shooting a deer a couple years before, and I was like, I just don't know if I want to deal with that anymore. Now today, I'm not even on Facebook. I've deleted it and uh, <laughs> find a, a lot more value in my other platforms that I use. Uh, one of which is obviously Go Wild, and it when you connect with people in a forum that everybody gets it. You don't have this nastiness that you do on these other platforms where you're constantly in defensive mode. And people ask us like, how did you build a platform where everybody's so supportive? And it's like, I didn't do that. I, I All we did was create the technology. I can't tell the community how to treat you. The community yeah. naturally is less defensive because of the, you know, the fact that you're posting into deer hunting. Everybody following that is there because they're passionate about deer hunting. And, and you're getting tens of thousands of people who are excited about what you love to do. And you can't do that with any other platform right now. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think you're hitting on something that's huge. Like you said, just the nastiness and people treating each other with respect has kind of flown out the window on, on several of those other platforms. So, uh, what I like about what you're saying is, you know, people can find their area, they can find where they want to go and there's stories to be told. And I, I, I just kind of wanted to hear your stories. I wanted to hear how you got, like, how did you get into hunting? What was it that drew you to it? And then I'll ask some other questions along the way, just kind of, you know, I just want to know about Brad's story in hunting. Yeah. My outdoor story starts when I was, um, you know, just a kid, my dad taking me fishing, you know, I shot my first gun at six years old in Southeastern Kentucky. I grew up in Appalachia and I, I didn't really get into hunting until I was, um, I think I was 12 when my dad first took me squirrel hunting. And, you know, I, I, I did small game hunting a little bit, but really started small game hunting again um, in college with my sister and then got into whitetail hunting. The hunting portion came later for me. Uh, I grew up off-roading. Like for me, like I always had four wheelers growing up. Um, we, my, my family, my cousins had dirt bikes, side-by-sides. Like that's what we did. And that was my connection to nature. And I played a lot, a lot of paintball in the woods and, mm -hmm. you know, got outside as much as I could. It was like a nightly routine for me to have my ticks picked out of my head from my mom. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I spent all my time outdoors, but the, after college, when I started really getting into hunting and understanding the challenges of it, and I really just fell in love with it in a different way than I had anything else. And, uh, you know, that's been seven, or I guess eight years ago now that I really started getting into whitetail, um, still consider myself, uh, you know, I, I have a lot to learn and, you know, I'm, go wild has taught me probably more than anything about whitetail hunting, just from being involved in this audience and learning from some of the veterans that are uh, creating content in our platform. But for me personally, it's a lot of people think, you know, uh, the founder of a platform like this would be some really advanced hunter. And there's been other really skilled hunters who have created stuff like this and it failed. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, first, the tech side is really hard. Um, people have gone out and they've paid agencies to build it and you can't be a tech company paying somebody else to build your technology. But the, the other thing I think is the perspective of a really experienced hunter and what they need is different than somebody who was where I was at when we founded this. Yeah. And, and my team too, wasn't, uh, uh, you know, I had, um, my co-founder Chris has hiked 
uh, he travels and they do vacations. Um, you know, they, they went to Iceland to go hiking and it's, he's really passionate about that. And now he's gotten into hunting. Um, Donovan really passionate about firearms and survival. Zach, um, ab- like loves to hike and gr- grew up with a grandfather who was a championship or like a champion level beagle breeder, but knew of hunting, but wasn't really a hunter. And so we had a base level, uh, passion for the, or like, a diverse passion for the outdoors, but we weren't experts per se. And I think that helped us get in the mindset of how can we build a platform that really helps people learn? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're, sometimes if you're an expert, you forget what you've already learned, right? Like you forget what you already know, but if you're an art, I I consider myself, um, very similar situations. Like I'm, I don't consider myself an, uh, an expert on anything. I, I consider myself an average Joe, normal person. I don't have a thousand acres to hunt. I have like a hundred acres to hunt. And so, you know, I think there's definitely a lot that can be learned from, uh, connecting with others. And that's part of the reason I I do this podcast. I just, I love hearing people's stories and how they got into hunting and and what excites them. Uh, Brad, let's go back a few years and and can you tell us about that moment or one of those stories that kind of stand out to you, um, whenever you're going after whitetails or maybe something else that kind of pops into your mind where you felt like, okay, I'm, I'm starting to learn a little bit, like how to get better at this. Was there kind of a coming of age or a coming of like, Hey, I feel like I'm, I'm starting to figure this out a little bit. Yeah, man. I had a whole season where I, um, hunted my tail off and thought I had scouted and done everything right. And I got skunked that year. That was the year before go wild. And, you know, it was really defeating to spend, I don't know, 13 days hunting and not get anything that year. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? What, like, how, how is this so hard? And I think a lot of people that are into it and have learned from my, my dad didn't deer hunt. My, 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 my uncles did, but I'd never hunted with them. So I was trying to learn all this secondhand online. And so I spent this whole season, like trying uh, public land hunting, going out and I had no idea. Now I look back at all the mistakes I was making and it's so obvious to me now and it's laughable at, at for where I am now, but you just, I didn't know. And I was hunting uh, southeast Kentucky, tons of public land, uh, the whitetail population uh, at the time. I, I didn't know. It's kind of funny. I was leaving um, the, the Louisville area where deer are overpopulated to go hunt in a uh, area of Kentucky where they're much less populated. The, the rules are even a lot tighter on what you can take mm-hmm. just a few hours away. But I, I look back at that season, and that was really the pivotal moment. Even though it was a full year before I had the idea for Go Wild, that was a pivotal point for me of my frustration peaking that season. And then that 2016 year when I really got hardcore into trying to figure out how to hunt in Kentucky and how to, um, I had a, a private farm that I was hunting down there. It's a, you know, I quote air quote with farm because in <laughs> Appalachia, it's not a farm. Like a lot of people would think it's not rolling Hills. It's like a, um, there's one little base of field at the foot of a mountain. And then that's like maybe three acres of field, that I don't even hunt and then I hunt the tree line. Uh, and then it's probably 20, some 28 acres of, uh, mountain and, and there's a river or a Creek and, um, it's a nice ravine, but you know, understanding how the deer were moving through there, I got into trail cameras that year and I was able to get a really, really nice eight point. Um, and I was so proud of that because it was a really the first good buck that I gotten myself, um, through, through my hard work. And for me, like, looking back on that season in 2016 was kind of the accomplishment that I achieved. And I, I wanted to expedite all that for somebody that was coming into it as an adult or even as a kid, you know, to be able to, to be able to crowdsource and get to that knowledge quicker. That was a really pivotal point for me 
was to be able to say, okay, it took me years to be able to get to this point where I could do this on my own. I finally I got mm-hmm. a deer by myself. I want to be able to help people learn um, all the mistakes faster. Like I want to help them learn from these veterans. How do I get them in a platform that we could put those people to where they can overlap? And you got to offer enough value to the veterans to where they want to be there, right? They have to be able to tell their story. They're not there to learn. They might be there to mentor or maybe not. There's people that have come into our platform just to share their story. And coincidentally, they become mentors. So that, that 2016 or 15 season where I got skunked and the 16 season where I was finally successful were really pivotal in this story. Absolutely. How, I'm just curious, how did it go down? How, did, how were you able to be successful in that specific hunt? Um, I, I had truck cameras all over that property, figured out where the deer were mostly traveling through, and I, I picked my spot. I had a nice um, stand that worked really well with the wind in that area. Uh, I was using scent, and I had learned to call better. I had no idea how to call that first year. I mean, literally no idea what I was doing. Uh, I had like a, the Primo's little can, the bleat in a can or whatever. And that oh, was yeah. the only thing I knew how to use. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was calling like all the time too, you know, never stopping, never giving it a break and hunting. Um, you know, honestly I was doing the roadside hunting and I didn't even realize that I would like drive my four wheeler up and park and walk a hundred yards away. And it's like such a stupid way. I look back at what I did now and all the mistakes I was hunting way too close to pressure uh, on public land that for like, it was too accessible and there was so much traffic and, yeah some of those opening weekends are like a Walmart parking lot and, and, um, on gun season on public land in Kentucky down there. Um, and that, that second year of really understanding that where the does are and, you know, finding where they're congregating. And that really helped me get, I'd never seen the buck that I ended up shooting. And the, the person that owned the farm said he had never seen him until two weeks before he showed up during the rut, you know, cause uh, deer start moving around quite a bit differently in the rut and um he, he had never seen him until like two weeks before and then he came out the morning i shot him uh as i was loading him into the truck and told me he had seen him around a couple times before that but really understanding where the does were made the biggest difference in my season that year and you know i got a new property well three years ago i started hunting a uh, the next year i started uh so 2017 i started hunting a property up here in near louisville in shelby county and um I got lucky, honestly, that first year there, shot a really nice 10 point. Are you, and, are you using a gun? Are you hunting mostly gun season? Are you doing bow or do you do, do both? So I started hunting bow. I got interested in bow because it go wild and I saw the people hunting bow and I've, I've, uh, started doing it. That said, I've only, I've only killed one deer with a, a bow, uh, down in Texas with Jeremiah Dowdy at, at his, um, from field to plate classes. So it's a, uh. It's a coal hunt. So I killed a spike buck on a, uh, it was like a, a two year old, very, uh, well, I guess he was probably a year and a half, a year and a half old buck there, that they were culling. Um, it was supposed to be a doe hunt, but this buck was really small. So we culled him. That's the only buck I've gotten with a bow. Uh, I've mostly done rifle hunting. I think I've killed like seven whitetail total. Again, don't claim to be a expert whitetail hunter. I'm oh, still man. learning, still learning. But, you know, this year I, uh, I got on, the trail of some of the best bucks I've ever got seen in my life. I passed a lot of really great deer that I would have been happy to shoot in the past. Um, including a, a, a really nice, um, seven point, uh, like mature, he was a mature older deer that I ended up just not taking. Cause I had a, I had a 10 point I was chasing. I had seen a 14 point on, um, uh, in person on that property. And there was a really big eight point on that property. And I had interactions with all those deer this year. I just, uh, I didn't want to settle. I had plenty of chances at young bucks too. And, uh, I ended up getting a doe at the end of the day. Like I'm, I'm there for the meat 
And if I can get a mature deer in that process, that's what I'm, I'm trying to do. But right. first and foremost, I'm, I'm there to get something to eat on for the year. So uh, this year, even understanding that has translated into, in my mind, a more successful season because I'm seeing the kind of deer I want to see. Again, didn't, didn't get the chance to move on those deer this year um, in the way I wanted to, but I had a lot of good interactions and saw a lot of deer this year, more so than I've ever seen in the past. Mm. Okay, I'm going to put two questions together here. Um, what is your most memorable hunt to date, and what is your most miserable hunt to date? <laughs> Dude, the, one of the most memorable hunts I ever had was this year. Um, it's kind of funny. I, I didn't kill anything this day. I, I, the, the 10 point I was chasing uh, on camera, huge tines, like massive, tall tines, great 10 point deer, uh, probably a three and a half year old buck. And uh, he came up behind me and was making all kinds of uh, ruckus. Dave, this is the last day of archery. And he was on the other property behind me about 30 yards through the brush. I saw him, um, grunted at him and he went nuts and ran down below me. Um, honestly, that would have been, he was downwind for me when he showed up and he ran down to my left and I grunted again to try to pull him out of the brush. And here came the big mature eight point running in cause he heard the grunt. And I'm like, Oh my God, these two deer are going to go at it cause they're going <laughs> to find each other. And there was all kinds of, no, I couldn't see what was going on. There's all kinds of madness going on in the brush. I could just hear this like snorting, wheezing, like uh, they were they were kind of scraping around in the leaves. And I could hear all this. I could see one of them came up to the brush line and I got really pumped. And I sat there for 30 minutes and then I look up at the third property right there. It's kind of a triangle of the property lines. And that's when I saw a, what I could count, or at least what I think I could count was 14 points on this deer. And you, know, you see these videos of these, <clears throat> these bucks on like all these uh, old videos of, or even like the juries, you know, you see the stuff that these guys are chasing, these massive swollen necks, deer, like uh, dog in a doe, bringing its nose up, kind of snorting around. I saw that going down. I saw a doe running and I looked behind it. I was like, what's she, what's she running from? I thought it was a cow. This deer was so big, and and I, re- I, I it was in cornfield. So uh, I, I I thought at first I was seeing like some corn they hadn't cut, and I realized it was the rack, and and my heart rate man just went through the roof on watching that deer, and it ran down there where the other two deer were, and so all of this is going on. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm coming back here tomorrow. The sun's setting. These deer are going to be bedding down somewhere in this area. I got a really good shot at opening morning of rifle. So. I actually decided to back out. Uh, I had about 15 minutes of light left. I decided to back out. I was going to walk away so I didn't disturb those deer because I I, uh, I didn't want to walk out in total darkness and afraid, of, afraid I would spook one. Mm-hmm. So I, I went all the way out and around, and I saw about 15 does. I got a mile walk to my tree stand. So I, I was on my way out, and I saw one of those does, and... I'm thinking it's archery. If I can stalk up on this doe, I had a good chance to stalk up on her, even though it's an open field, just the way the layout is. So if I could shoot a doe, uh, it's about half a mile from where I, my stand was. I could probably do it quiet enough to get out of here without those deer being disturbed. So I was going to try it. Well, turns out two coyotes had the same mindset. They were, <laughs> they were creeping up on these does. So as I was stalking up on them, I flushed a coyote. He jumps up, or he, she, or whatever, jumps up, knocks over the other one. It, I startled them so bad that it, it like cartoon toppled the other one and they both skedaddled like that whole like run in place and can't get traction. <laughs> and 
I, I, I tried to, to stock up on the does, but at that point there was so much ruckus. They had kind of figured out what was going on. wasn't able to do it, but it was just like an hour and a half of just nonstop heart rate. It was so cool to see all those deer, um, you know, there, all that action. And, and for me, like I had finally figured this property out and figured out where the pinch point for these deer were. And the bummer of that is I came back out the next morning and for guns, first day of gun season, and there had been a miscommunication with the property owner and somebody else had set up in the spot. I had permission. Uh, these guys were cool, but they had kind of driven out in the middle of the property where those deer had been close to bedding down. They had a truck and they just weren't taking the same kind of care that I would have to get out there quietly. And mm -hmm. I never saw those bucks again. And I, I, I haven't seen them on trail camera yet. I've got some cameras that have been out there since, um, well, since that day, I've been running cameras out there, so I haven't seen them show back up yet, but that was the most, one of the most memorable hunts I've ever had just because of the quality of bucks I saw. I've never seen so many, like for me, again, as a young whitetail hunter, um, have not seen that much quality action in, at one time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is awesome. I think it's it, to me too. I, I think if I asked that question to a lot of different guys, it wouldn't always be a successful hunt. It's just the experience of, for you, it's, it's coming together and you're, you're feeling like, Hey, I'm finally figuring this out a little bit too, you know, getting, you know, all those bucks in one spot and figuring out a property. That's, that's very rewarding. Yeah. And if, if it had been gun season, that eight point would have been dead, but he was right. dead, a uh, full pay, full trot at 50 yards and i'm i can't I, I don't have enough confidence as a bow hunter to shoot a buck at 50 i know that's no problem for a lot of these guys but um you know my, my comfort zone consistently where i know i can consistently hit is uh like uh, an animal i can hit a target uh what i would say a kill shot at 40 yards but I, my comfort zone is 30 yards and i was not about to try a 50 yard shot on an eight point yeah. deer um uh, especially knowing that rifle you know and and the rut had started but it wasn't really I, I i thought i had a good two weeks of rut like action left so i wasn't gonna take that chance but you know rifle season that that big mature eight, i mean a massive eight point um could have been like on the downward he was so big i don't know how old that deer would have been maybe three and a half it could have been five and a half for all i know but i would have been really happy with that deer um but you know i it didn't come together but it was such a cool experience to watch all this stuff go down and I got to interact with, you know, again, seeing coyotes there. Like, I've seen a ton of coyotes out there, and they're always fun to watch and interact with. I've had a lot of interactions with them, even calling them in. And, uh, you know, on the east east uh, coast, or well, really, like, east of the Mississippi, a lot of times they there are pack animals. They'll hunt together. So I've seen as many as five of them together in that spot. It's just, it is fun. It's fun to watch them interact and not know you're there. Yeah. Yeah, that is awesome. All right, let's let's slide over to the other question. Most miserable hunt. <laughs> Does it, anything come to mind whenever I ask yeah, that? Also happened this season. So I was hunting public land in Kentucky, and my uh, I like to run. I'm uh, I haven't run a race in a while, but like my favorite temperature to run is like mid 30s, but my least favorite running conditions are mid 30s in rain. And I've had some terrible races like that. And I had it's my, also my least favorite temperature and weather conditions to hunt. And I hunted um, uh, public land, really a backcountry hunt for Kentucky, like a two-mile hike up elevation with 1,600 feet of climb over the two miles. I did that twice uh, in a weekend, like really full-day hunts uh, for gun season. I was after a, I, I never had the buck. I didn't have cameras, but I knew I was on, just from all the sign, I had a really good buck in the area. And it rained hard for two days, and it was 34 degrees 
and I could not stay dry. Like it, I have all the good rain gear, um, and I just you you can't stay dry in those conditions. I, I mm. it was impossible. And I actually told um, my buddy Lynn Hoffman hunts up in Alaska in those conditions a lot. And I was like, dude, I don't know how you do it. Two days of this, like I was done. Uh, you know, you, you hit um, in a marathon, you hit the wall. It's like mile mile eighteen. You start to rethink your life. Uh, you can you you say things like, "Why am I doing this? This is so stupid. I can't believe I'm so stupid to be out here. Why uh, this is I, this is ignorant." And then you get through it, like with a hunt. If you you end up being successful, it all goes away immediately, right? Even you'll even be warm when you were cold a minute before. You don't think about it. Um, but this hunt was every bit of the wall. What I would call is is uh, I was so cold. I was so miserable. At one point, I pulled back under a rock cliff and was even trying to get like a small fire to warm my hands up because I couldn't. I was in so much pain from just being wet and cold. Nothing would stay dry because um, it was like one of those raining all directions. Like my my undergarments were getting wet from under the bottom side of my raincoat because I just couldn't. I, I needed like a full suit, like a <laughs> like top to bottom uh, cor- coronavirus style like. <laughs> biohazard suit it was just so miserable the ground was soaked i was also hunting from the ground um i had a stand that i'd packed in one day but to get up to where i was trying to get to it was just i don't have like i need a really mobile setup that's what i've learned like my my stand is old it's one of the heavier ones um but i was also hunting in um it's all those the, the magnolias like like it's super thick it wasn't really a good stand environment so i i chose not to bring it in there so i was hunting under like uh, up a, on a ledge over a, a trail that the deer were moving through and i was on the ground it was just miserable dude absolutely miserable i i was texting my friends just to distract me and i'm like i literally hate my life right now uh you know <laughs> um that's the most miserable i've been i've had single hunts where i go out here it's like you know four hours you're cold and you go in a little bit early but for two full days, I was absolutely miserable, and yeah. it gave me an admiration for a lot of these guys out west that go out and spend eight days in, in a lot of those those temperatures. I think the elk guys, you know, you're doing that, but it's the temperature difference. I, I can be in the rain when I'm warm, but that 34 degree, I, I would rather it just snow. Like, you'd much rather it just yeah. be snowing than, than to be out in that, that, that 34 degrees is the worst. Yeah. Rain is a demoralizer. You, you making the marathon comparison, it just resonates with me. I ran two marathons and I know exactly what you're talking about (laughs) because you think, I think everybody has in their minds the nostalgic, like I'm going to run a race and I'm going to be out there. And they think about that runner's high that some, some people get, I I didn't get it very much, but, and and you get out there and think this is going to be awesome. And then, then you get out there and it is awesome for a little while, but they, you don't, you don't realize how much pain you're about to put yourself through. And I think yeah. with hunt, hunting is the same way. You think everybody, whenever somebody thinks of hunting, like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to get out there and enjoy a beautiful morning. And I can't think of how many times my hands have been so cold that I'm like, you know, breathing on them just to get a little relief. And sometimes hunting is hard and it just sucks. You know, there's yeah. times that it's hard. It really is. And it's hard yeah. to enjoy. Even turkey hunting uh, two years ago. I had a turkey season that was like that. It, um, it, when I started, you know, now the greenery is already starting to come back here in Kentucky. I think we'll probably have leaves on the trees when, by the time it opens up here in a month. But a few years ago, it was April, and I actually just posted a picture on Go Wild today of it snowing. I have like snow piled up on me from that turkey season. And that was a turkey season that even I had a, we had a really rainy day that was uh, low 40s in rain. And it's just always the worst, man. I mean, I, I don't, I don't. I guess there is ring gear that I don't have that would would stand up to that. But everything I have, um, it just the water finds its way in at some point. And 
you know, it, it's, uh, I don't know, maybe I just need to stop hunting in the rain, but some people will tell you that, like, I know deer still move, they don't mind it. So I try to get out there. If, like for me too, like my schedule, I've mentioned, um, you know, my travel schedule doesn't necessarily slow down. It slows down after trade show season, but I still travel a lot. So a lot of times I, I don't get, like, sometimes I got to go hunt on days that I know the weather's not good. And, or like, you know, I'll use deer cast and it says it's a bad day. And I'm like, well, okay, but I still got to go, you know, I still got to go out there and, and try to get something. Cause this is, this is the only time I can hunt for the next 14 days. And so I find myself having to put like push through and hunt on those days. And it just sucks sometimes, man. I mean, uh, but that's also, like you said, with marathons, you know, you get through it and it's a great accomplishment. And I'm always in like visualizing that I would be happy with a hunt if I can get something done in the rain, but I've yet to be successful on a rainy hunt or, or a cold and miserable hunt like that. Um, but you know, I'll keep, I'll keep trying. Yeah. And I think that maybe that's the marathon mentality. Maybe it hasn't happened on that, that particular hunt, but one of these days, maybe it will, and it'll, it'll make it all worthwhile. Um, I have, I have the, uh, the proud distinction of having literally ran myself to exhaustion and near death in a marathon. I've done four. I've completed three. And my first time in Chicago's marathon, I ran, um, I trained differently. I won't get, I won't nerd out on what happened. I, I, I did basically, I would train and run a six miles and then do a cool down stretch. Cause I was having Achilles problems and it was helping my Achilles get through it. And I had had a veteran uh, runner tell me that he trained like this. He was able to increase his pace and I was running the fastest I'd ever run that year. Um, I've never been in better shape. I weighed like as little as I did in high school. I was in excellent condition. But what I had done was teach my body to never process lactic acid. Oh, and no. so, uh, mile, I was running the race of my life up until about mile 15, by mile 18, I was starting to, I didn't realize at the time, but I was actually like kind of hallucinating. Um, the lactic acid is a poison, right? It's like poisoning your body. It's acid that your body has to process. And through training, you teach yourself to process that your body gets used to it. And it, it, it basically creates a higher level of tolerance for it. Well, my body had never gotten used to that because I was stopping to stretch. And so by mile 18, my body was getting hit with all this lactic acid and I didn't know what was going on at the time. I've learned this since then. But, uh, I started to hallucinate. I ran about two miles of the race that I don't remember. I, I passed out at mile 23 and a half, a marathon's 26.2. Um, and I had no, uh, I, my pulse was faint. My oxygen levels were through the floor. My kidneys and liver were in failure. Had to go to the emergency room. Um, but I, I always saw that as like a point of pride for me. I, I'm a very determined person. Like if I, if I get my mindset on something, I'm going to do it or at least try, uh, until I almost kill myself. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, literally I have ran myself to death. Um, and startup world's not that much different. You know, you can, you can burn yourself out if you're not careful. Yeah. So it's almost like a detriment for me. I have to be cognizant of that. And, you know, sometimes after, you know, sleeping four hours a night, you know, I've had to, after doing that for like four or five weeks, you got to slow down and say, okay, I'm not taking care of myself. I got to slow down you know, uh, start, start sleeping more and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I've, I've been on both sides of the marathon, like running one where I didn't hit the wall that I went back and did Chicago two years later and did great. I almost set my PR, um, uh, per personal record. Right. And, uh, you know, I had a great race, didn't hit the wall. It, it was great, but I've also had, you know, the low of lows where you don't finish. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely teaches you. I, I hate running. That's my, that for me, I chose to do it cause I hate running. <laughs> So I thought, what what greater way to challenge myself than to do something that I hate doing? And I actually ended up kind of liking running. And uh, But yeah, I mean, it just teaches you so much about yourself. 
I mean, it, I guess I relate it back to hunting. Hunting, especially on like a, a two or three day, four day, like an elk trip or whatever, I've done that. You know, you learn a lot about who you are and like what you're, I mean, there's just certain points where you do, you have to like, yeah, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And so you, I think marathon and hunting, I see a very uh, tight comparison between the two actually. It, well, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, if you ever wonder why you have great ideas in the shower, it's because you're not distracted, right? Your mind has to wander, and it's because you don't have technology. I, I don't take my phone in the shower. I don't know about your audience, but personally, <laughs> I don't do that. Not, like, that's where my mind can wander. Hunting does the same thing. Like, if you're out of cell phone service and you can't play on your phone, your mind is free to wander, and running very much like hunting is one of the best creative resets I've found. I've had some of my best ideas for Go Wild that we've executed while running. Uh, much of the product development early days, like thinking through how we wanted to do things, I would go out and run for a couple hours and, and uh, my, your mind, like even if you're listening to music or a book, you know, sometimes I have to pause books when I'm listening to them while I'm running because my mind is processing so much um, on, on, I get an idea spurred and then two minutes later in the book, I realize I haven't listened to any of it. I've been thinking through my own thoughts. It's really healthy. I think, I think that's the best part about running is being able to allow your mind to do, to operate as nature intended. You know, I, I don't believe, and I'm, t I'm saying this as a social media person, like I, I have a social media app that I own. I don't think our brains are meant to be constantly distracted by that stuff. I don't think it's healthy to always do that. I think you got to take uh, breaks from that stuff to get away from it and let your mind do what nature intended, which is to be creative. Everybody is creative and you know, you don't have to be an artist to be creative. Creativity is just the, the nature of letting your mind wander and have it like to process those ideas free of, free of uh, obstruction. And, you know, I hope that people use our app to learn how to get outside, to have that confidence, to go hunt, to go fish, to go hike, whatever you want to do. I hope we inspire and we, we educate you enough to where you can go do that and get away from the phone, man. I'm not trying to get anybody hooked on something else that they they spend i don't want you to spend an hour a day on our platform i hope you you tap in every now and then you learn you ask questions and we're inspiring you and helping you get outside to be able to find ways to enjoy nature because that to me is the greatest um you don't need to be starting a business or getting ideas for that just even you personally i think you're going to have ideas and thoughts that you wouldn't have normally had if you're outside uh di disconnecting mm, man i love that I 100% agree with you. Like, I mean, same for my podcaster. It, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, I, I'm glad that people listen to it. I try and keep it a little shorter just for that very reason. Like, I, I kind of have a personal pet peeve. Like, whenever I'm listening to a podcast, I want to listen to it in one sitting. So I don't start, like, I don't listen in between going to work and then going home. So I, you know, just trying to, I, I just, I completely respect you for telling us, hey, don't be on this all day because I, that is the temptation. I hate whenever my phone tells me at the end of the week how many hours I spent on certain things. It actually yeah. motivates me to try and use it less. I'm like, gosh, did I really spend that many hours on my phone a day or that many hours on uh, that oh, social yeah, media? So I think I we all have to. I set restrictions. I set restrictions yeah, on my. I've started uh, doing that like, too. Yeah. <clears> so, like, my Instagram account, it, it gives me a five minute warning and then it shuts down and. I might override that once or twice if, if I'm trying to check in on something or if I'm seeing if I have any DMs or something. But what it does is it cuts off the push notifications that are constantly pulling you back in. You know, I, I don't want people to mindlessly go through memes like, like you tend to do on a Twitter or an Instagram or Facebook. Um, you know, my hope is that you're using Go Wild as a tool to, to ask questions, to learn about gear, to get better at what you love to do. So, I, you know, I want it to be used more that way. If, if people are 
ignoring their family at dinner time on Go Wild, then I, I that's not what we intended. That's not why we built it. Absolutely. One one more question about hunting stories. I'm just curious, since you started uh, the Go Wild app, has that given you any opportunities? You mentioned going on like a call hunt uh, where you got your buck with a bow. Has there been any other opportunities where you've been able to kind of go out and maybe do a hunt that you wouldn't have normally done had you not created the app? Yeah. Um, you know, hunting wise, it's funny cause I turned down <laughs> like once a week, I turned down hunts, you know, it's this community is so amazing. A lot of people have reached out and offered to, um, to go do this or that. I've, I literally any, almost any species you can think of short of like moose or, or, um, a, a brown bear, grizzly bear, you know, those, those hunts are really expensive. People don't exactly offer that up for free, but I've got people all over the country that have been so kind to us and say, Hey, I want you to come out and do this. And I, you know, I, you only have so much time and I've got a family and I try to try to not, I, I could hunt, you know, a uh, hundred days a year with the invites we've gotten. And I've, I've honestly declined a lot of that. Um, but it has taken me to a few places. One of which was Texas with Jeremiah I spent three days learning how he butchers and cooks whitetail. And we ate every part of a deer that you can imagine. I mean, it was crazy. The, the ways he showed us to, to cook and process animal, that animal, um, you know, we, we, uh, cooked javelina. He, he had bobcat hams in the fridge. Like I learned a lot about that. And that was an experience I probably wouldn't have. I know I wouldn't have had it without go wild. Um, I had a fishing trip that I got to do. I went up to Alaska and got to hunt or, uh, fish, um, for king salmon and halibut and, you know, a bunch of other species, but those were the two targets. And mm-hmm. that was a really unique experience that I wouldn't have done without go wild. And, uh, actually, in Kentucky in a few weeks, I'll hunt with Jeremiah again. We're going to hunt turkeys and he's going to cook. We're going to do like a, a we're going to hunt uh, opening morning, hopefully get some birds and he's going to show his way of processing and cooking turkeys. And we're going to do it native to Kentucky. So we're going to try to cook with some local ingredients and, you know, uh, do something Kentucky inspired. So I, I'm really intent on doing a bourbon sauce for our turkey or something <laughs> like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've gotten a lot of opportunities. I've not gotten to take advantage of a lot of them. I have met um, some people on the platform that I have taken advantage of. Um, like I, I got a friend up in Michigan who I, I've fished with quite a bit, um, who I, I met through Go Wild, and um, I've been up to fish with him a couple different times, and those are experiences I wouldn't have had. But, you know, I haven't taken advantage of all the offers I've had. Some people are so nice, and they, they get really connected to our team. If you download the app, you'll see, uh, you know, you'll get – messages from a lot of our team members and those first messages are automated to check in on people but once you reply back people are shocked that like hey it's me like it's brad the founder who's responding to you um it's erica in marketing who wants to help you learn how to use it and it's chris the founder who is trying to help make sure you don't have any bugs that are keeping you from using the platform we want it to be a good tool we want to make sure it's working so we we do um we, we connect with the audience in a way that a lot of the bigger tech platforms just aren't suited to do because they have billions of users and that's not really their game you know their games to please the 90 percent you know 10 percent have problems or can't understand the platform that's not their problem we don't take that approach we're too young we're too early um, i'm sure at a certain time it's gonna I, I hope we get to so many users i can't do that anymore uh, but even at that like our plan is to scale it to where you still are getting uh, offers from customer service reps or someone that can still help you. But for right now, if you download the platform, you're going to get, um, onboarded by us. You're going to get messages from us. You get emails and, um, you know, we're really hands-on and that leads to a tremendous amount of people who offer up, uh, just this morning, somebody's trying to get me to come up to Michigan to hunt and fish with them. And, uh, I had another offer yesterday for, I think it was elk hunting out West and 
um, you know, eventually I'd love to get the business in a place where I can start to take advantage of some of these opportunities. Well, you know what? If 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 you can't go, just go ahead and get my email if you want. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little disappointed in my listeners. Hey guys, what's the deal? I mean, there you go. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with you guys? Come on now, you've been no, so just, selfish. No, nah, I'm just kidding, man. That's awesome. Well, that's cool. Uh, tell us a little bit. I know also, and I, I'm a fan. Tell us about Restless Native. Yeah, so Restless Native, uh, once I quit my job, which was almost two years, well, it was two years ago, um, uh, February 28th, made my last day in the agency world, so I was the first one of our founders to go full-time, and I had been talking about starting a podcast for all this, like, a long time, because I was doing a lot of them like this, this one, and we were talking to a lot of cool people, and I said, man, it's a shame that we don't capture these conversations and these great people we get to meet. So Restless Native, is a, it's different than a lot of podcasts in the hunting space. Um, it's an outdoors podcast, first of all. It's not always hunting. But it, it talks to people who are loosely tied to the outdoors, doing some kind of, uh, it might be a marketing person with Vortex or, or Garmin or First Light. Or, or, um, it's not always marketing related, but you know, trying to meet people, how they got into the outdoors, how they got into the industry. It's more of an industry-focused podcast. But a lot of people that aren't in the industry really enjoy the show because you're hearing about how some of these brands do business and you're hearing about how people who have created ad campaigns that you may have seen or, or design products like Weatherby. I had Adam Weatherby on and come talk about his lineage. You know, I didn't get on there and ask Adam, you know, about all the animals he's hunted because Adam does that on podcasts all the time. I yeah. wanted to talk about the business side of his family's uh, legacy and you know, really dive into that more than I, I don't get on there. You know, I've had Scott Ellis on twice. He's a, a four-time Grand National champion turkey caller, and I don't ask Scott. In fact, Scott got on uh, before the show as you and I did, and he said, "All right, what calls do you want me to do?" And I said, "None of them." And he said, well, "What do you mean? I'm a turkey caller." I was like, "I don't care about any of uh, of that. We're not doing tactics. We're going to talk about your passion. We're going to talk about how you got into this. We're going to talk about what's important for your personal legacy." And my show focuses on that. We're not. I'm not there to, um, you know, try to to teach people. I think there's a lot better podcast. Go go listen to Cody Rich. Cody Rich is yeah. the best in the industry for teaching you how to kill mule deer, mule deer and elk. Like yeah, why I love would I his try podcast? Yeah, dude, he's great. He's one of the smartest entrepreneurs in the business too. And why why would I, a newcomer, try to compete with Cody Rich and all these other great uh, podcasts that are out there? That, that are teaching you how to do it, uh, do it really well. Uh, there's guys that come on onto the scene, like the hunting public, who, who have done it, and they've made a, a, a great uh, platform out of that kind of content. But it goes back to, I am a newbie. I, I don't even know the questions to ask like Cody does. Now, Cody, uh, much like you said, a lot of his podcasts came out of that he wanted to learn more about mule deer hunting. He wanted to learn more about bear hunting. So he, he brought those people on and the dude's a killer. He's a straight up slayer. And, and a lot of it's from information he's learned on his podcast. That's not my format. I, I didn't set out to build that. Um, I don't think I've ever had a tactical show and we're closing in on a hundred episodes. You know, I, I, I will do, uh, I do a lot of wild game chefs and I'll talk to them about processing and, and cooking and, and it's tips on stuff like that. But we also talk about the restaurants they founded and failed at sometimes. You know, I just, I, I got a show coming out soon with the, the forage chef. This guy goes out and hunts mushrooms. He's a, he, he likes to hunt, but he's not a big hunter. But his friends give him venison. And, and he's one of the smartest people I've ever talked to on processing venison. And we talk about all the cuts that people throw away. He talked about how to uh, make liver more palatable for the spouse. Sometimes, you know, the spouses are a little skeptical of game, right? Mm -hmm. And 
Uh, you know, I'll get into that, but that's about as tactical as I get on my show. Uh, you know, we, we've interviewed people from Yeti, um, Gar- I think I mentioned Garmin. Um, and I also, I don't just hit these big names. I try to find people that you've never heard of. You know, I talked yeah. to a nutritionist who's a farmer up in Canada and her family hunts, but they live on everything that they produce on the farm. And I found that really interesting. And so she's loosely in the outdoors. She's not a you know, massive brand, but I found it of interest to my audience in the industry. So, uh, it's, it's a, I guarantee it'll be a show that like, like something you know, and you don't have to go back to episode one. And in fact, I, I don't even recommend you do that You know, <laughs> evolved so much that I, I think like the last 30 episodes or so we've done have been the best we've ever done. The show's doing better than it's ever done before. Uh, and you know, finding guys like, um, Brandon Butler, who is one of the smartest conservationists I've ever talked to. And, and Bra- uh, Brandon talks about how his company is creating a model uh, for farming that is bringing back native birds. And it's just fascinating stuff, man. I try to find stuff that nobody else is talking about. Um, I, I do fun stuff, too. We, one of our, actually, our most popular episodes we've ever done are around Halloween. We, uh, we do paranormal storytelling in the woods. So I, I talked to this guy, Dark Waters is his uh, kind of his performance name or his, his storytelling name. His name's James. But James talks about Bigfoot and Dogman uh, occurrences in the woods. And it, like I, I just find stuff that nobody else is talking about. I don't want to do the shows that everybody else has done. You yeah. know, it's not no insult to the Jim Shockeys of the world, but like I'm not going to do a better job of interviewing Jim Shockey than Cable Smith with Lone Star or, or Cody Rich with The Rich Outdoors. So like who can I find that maybe doesn't get as much limelight. Like, like first light we interviewed, um, I did Scott Robinson who was, he's, he's one of the founders of first light, but he wasn't the, in the limelight. So I got to hear Scott talk about the business side of getting that brand up off the ground. That's like in the, maybe episode 53 or so. If somebody wants mm-hmm. to find that one, great interview. And it was a part, a part of this first light story that nobody had ever told before. Right. So I'm trying to find people who maybe haven't had as much of attention, but doesn't mean they don't have a great story. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, I like, and that's what I love about your show. I think there's a lot of good tactic shows out there. And that's for me early on, whenever I got into podcasts, listening to them, that's what I wanted because that's what I wanted to hear. Cause I, I, I want to learn and I still listen to them. I still listen to a lot of those shows, nine figure chronicles. I know you've had Dan Johnson on your show before. Yeah, Dan's got, if, tactically, yeah. if you want to get, uh, get better at whitetail hunting, Dan Johnson has maybe the best show and he, and sportsman's network, uh, the, the way he's running that, like par- what Parker is doing with, with Southern ground, I mean, those guys have some of the best tactical shows out there and, uh, they do something I can't do. So I try to bring a, a, a different light to that, you know, try to, yeah. try to fill in a gap. I, I see it as a void. You know, there's a, there was a real opportunity to create something that nobody else was doing. Same thing we did go wild, man. I mean, like look at hunting apps. If you Google hunting app right now, you're going to find mapping apps. You're going to find weather apps. In no way did we want to go out there and compete with the hunt stands and the onyxes of the world, and and even look at Deercast, what the Drurys have done with that. It's a fantastic weather app. It's hard to beat, right? There's I don't know of anybody that's doing a better job with weather apps than that. And sometimes our users will uh, will say things like, "Hey, um, I, I wish you guys had mapping." And it's like, okay, cool, but like, why would I go out and try to create recreate these already great products with millions yep. of people using them? We're we're filling a void that nobody else does as well as we do. So and and we we saw that opportunity and that's we stay focused. We stay in our lane. You know, we 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 don't want to chase something just because it's what everybody else is doing. That's how I approach my podcast too. 
Absolutely. I love that. I think that's it. I mean, you're talking about stories from people that have, you're not hearing their story all the time. And that's, that's what this show is about too. So Brad, I, I really appreciate you taking time today and coming. I know you got a busy schedule and uh, just grateful for you coming on and, and sharing some of those stories and telling us a little bit about the Go Wild app. Can you tell us um, real quick, if anybody has questions about uh, where to download it, do you have like a website? Um, just give us a quick, you know, 30 second rundown of uh, how to get, get connected to those things. Yeah, so um, you know we're we're we live where you already live. So if you just want to follow along uh, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, any of that, it's Go Wild app, and uh, I, that's a great way to start learning about it. But to, I, I encourage everybody just to go download it, and create an account, and do an it's introductory free. post. It's free. Yeah. It's totally free. We're uh, never going to charge for for that that base level service. Um, it, and you can find it on iOS or Android. Uh, download GoWild.com. We'll get you to those links if you want to just go that way. And we're launching a desktop site soon, so I don't know when the show will air, but early April we'll have a desktop site that's live. You can start using Go Out on on your computer. Um, but today, the best way to find it is just to use one of the platforms. And I encourage everybody to do a first post. Just tell us what you like to do. Uh, it is forum based, so you'll have to post it. If you're posting about deer hunting, it'll go into the deer hunting forum, um, and you can categorize that yourself when you're posting. You can load your trophies in. Uh, I encourage everybody to give it a try, and you'll get a DM from me about 24 hours after you sign up and let me know what you're thinking. Let me know if you like it or not. You know, we were very receptive to feedback. Absolutely. Well, Brad, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And I hope that you have a great rest of your day, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And there we go. Brad Luttrell, go wild app. I uh, hope that you guys enjoyed that. I enjoyed kind of getting to know Brad a little bit better and hear some of his stories. And it was refreshing to me uh, to kind of hear him talk a little bit about how he's not an expert. He doesn't claim to be an expert. In fact, Part of his driving force for creating the Go Wild app was to meet new people and to connect and to tell a story that hasn't been told before. And if you know anything about this show that I have, that's my heart too. I I love talking to people that maybe I haven't heard their side of the story or I've never heard of them before anyway, you know, and I think that's that's the beauty of it. I I don't know that you're going to find too many content creators that make an app that encourage you (laughs) to not spend more than 15 minutes on the app. I just thought that that was absolutely cool of him to mention that his goal is for people to not be sitting around the dinner table uh, on their phones and to not spend hours a day doing this type of thing. Um, That's refreshing to me. I think um, it's just, it hits me. I said this on the show, and it it rings true. Every Sunday, um, and I'm not sure why it happens on Sunday, but every Sunday my phone buzzes, and it tells me that the amount of time that I have spent on the phone. And I get, you know, I get that message every week. And my goal is to reduce that number. Because if, if you're like me, uh, man, I spend way too much time constantly looking. I'm, I'm looking whenever I got any free moment. If you're in a line somewhere, you pull out your phone and you don't ever try and look to meet people around you. Um, if you're at the bat in the bathroom, you're on your phone all the time. Okay. Well, that's maybe not a terrible thing, but there's, we're just always on our phones. And I just think about the verse in first Corinthians six that says, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. I just want you to think about that. Do you have the right to be on your phone? Is there anything wrong with being on your phone? No, I mean, it's it's a beautiful tool. The Go Wild app, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, uh, hunting forums, uh, all of it. All of it can be a benefit. But 
the question is, are you mastered by it? Um, in my little journal that I've started where I've been trying to track my habits, I created a column last week to do for this month, and it's just a simple check mark. I can uh, the, the, the category is this. Was I controlled by my phone, or did I control my phone today? If I controlled my phone, then I'm, I feel that I can put a check mark there. If I felt like my phone controlled me and I spent way too much time on it, I don't put a check mark there. So I'm really, my goal for the month of March is that I have more check marks than I have uh, blank spaces. Um, I want that for me personally. I also want that for my wife and kids. So I'd encourage you guys, man, it's a real, it's a real addiction. Um, getting those uh, notifications, getting those things that are constantly buzzing. If your phone allows you to set limits, I've actually started doing that on Facebook in particular because that's where I found I've spent most of my time. And there's other great apps out there like Brad had mentioned. And also, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but there is a thing called the Bible app. And I'm on there with uh, three or four guys and we do a Bible reading plan together, and we can read like a little section. It's not real long, and then we can comment and share our thoughts, and it's just kind of a networking way. So it's kind of a way to read the Bible together. Uh, it's put out there by Version, and uh, they do a great job. Just throwing out some ideas, and uh, hope that you are uh, learning. Hope that you're growing as a hunter, and also not just as a hunter, but as a person and an individual. Hope that you guys have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for coming back to this show. If you enjoyed it, if it was something that you like, and you haven't left a review, I would love that. Thank you for your time, and remember to shed the light. <laughs>